Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be here once again at Rotherham. The whole Christian life is a life of faith. I thought the first song that we sung at the beginning was uh, really helpful in introducing the, the theme, but all the others have been helpful as well. But I'm particularly focused on the theme I want to share with you this morning. The whole Christian life is, is faith. The way we come into the Christian life and experience is through trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us, as we've just been singing, on the cross, giving his life for us. That's the way in, that's the door, that's the entrance. Not what we do, what we achieve, what we are, anything that commends ourselves, but what Christ has done for us. And trusting in him and what he is, who he is and what he's done for us. That's the way in to the Christian life. But of course the whole of the Christian life, from A to Z, is the life of faith. And that's really what I want to home in on this morning. We're going to look at the passage which has been read for the, the two weeks uh, today and next Sunday as well. We're going to try and do something which is impossible to us, but not impossible with God. We're going to try and bring down the walls of Jericho. I did inquire whether this building is well insured, just in case uh, the might just rock a little. Don't get alarmed. It's all apparently okay. What we're going to look at it is some of the different aspects of faith which were essential, which were used by God to bring down the walls of Jericho, to conquer this great fortress. Why faith? Well, faith because only God can bring down those walls. Only God can defeat Jericho. And we know that just the sight of that walled city and other walled cities like it in the land had frightened most of the spies. Do you remember that 40 years earlier, Moses sent in spies to examine the land, and they saw people of huge stature, probably relations of Goliath. They saw that the people had iron chariots, uh, which were very uh, formidable on the flatter ground. And uh, they saw the, the huge walls that had been built around cities like Jericho. And to put it bluntly, when they saw that, they bottled out. They said, there's no way that we can go in and take that. It, it, the walls are too strong. We, we can't do it. So, the result of their investigation of the spies was they just felt that it was an impossible task. So, now we read in chapter 6 and verse 1, here in, in Joshua chapter 6, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. That means it was, it, it, it was impossible to get in. Human effort alone could never conquer Jericho. That's the point, really, we've got to get into our heads this morning. Human effort alone could never get down those walls, could never get in to Jericho. Friends, faith is about trusting God to do what for us is either very difficult or impossible. That's what it is. It's not just a nice thought in our heads. It, 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 it's, it's the challenge to do, to trust God to do what for us is impossible. Faith is believing God. Faith is believing His Word. Faith is believing His promises. Faith is believing His commands. Regardless of appearances, regardless of what we can see with our natural eye. In chapter 6, verse 2, we read, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, 
I've delivered Jericho into your hands. But Joshua couldn't see. Of course he couldn't, because it hadn't yet happened. He could only see it by faith. But he believed God just the same. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 1, a very important verse, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. I'll repeat that, it's a very, very important verse. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And again in Hebrews 11 verse 27, Moses, we're told, persevered, with the Lord he persevered. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. How do you see the invisible? Well, Moses believed God because he saw the invisible God by faith. By faith. The Bible wants us to understand this very clearly. Faith is about trusting God to do what for us is either difficult or impossible. In the case of the Jericho Wars, it was certainly impossible. Matthew 21, verse 21, Jesus says, after the cursing of the withering of the fig tree, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, that is, it died, but also you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done, says Jesus. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Faith is crucial in prayer, in calling upon God, in looking for God to intervene in our lives and to help us in our lives. Faith in Him, trusting Him, is absolutely crucial. Not just when you become a Christian, but right through your lives. Believing God for what is impossible with men. Joshua and the Israelites believed God. And their faith was richly rewarded, wasn't it? Hebrews 11.30, we read, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. After the people had marched around for seven days, they believed and the walls came down. The conquering of Jericho and the whole conquest of Canaan that followed, because there was a whole land to conquer, was entirely a venture of faith. Friends, our Christian life, yours and mine, is impossible without the constant exercise of faith. Trusting God. We're called specifically to a life of faith. And strikingly so today, we stand as Christians today exposed as a minority in this country before a secular, godless world, an unbelieving world, and we've got to stand out as men and women and young people. How are we different from the world around us that thinks that we're off the wall, that we're a bit eccentric, that we're oddballs, that we're out of date, that we don't fit with the modern mindset? How are we to stand out you and I, from the world around us. The Bible says we stand out as men and women and young people of faith, who trust in the living God, who have a relationship with the living God, who know Him and know His hand is upon our lives. As we trust in Him, this living God leads us and directs us and changes us and equips us to live as Christians in a world that, that doesn't believe. And that by God's grace, if we do that as he wants us to, with his help, many will come to believe. That's what it means to be a gospel-focused church, what we're hearing just now about the FIC. I know all those men personally, 
I found him at a meeting with one on Tuesday, going to the Bible College West in South Wales with Trevor Archer, and then the following week, the two Bible Colleges in London I'm visiting with him again, because I'm training officer for EFCC, the Congregational Churches, as he is the FYC, so we're working together in a lot of things. And wholehearted is to be a gospel-focused fellowship of independent churches to win people for Christ. If we're people of faith, others, by God's grace, can also become people of faith. Well, what are the aspects of faith which are seen here, in exercise here, which God looks for in every generation, not just in Joshua's day, but in every generation. We're going to look at some this morning, and then we're going to look at some more next Sunday morning. First of all, we see here obedient faith. Obedient faith. As far as we can tell, the Lord's commands with regard to Joshua were followed exactly by Joshua, by the priests, by the armed men, and by all the people as they marched around those walls. Yet to do nothing more than walk around those formidable walls, and the priests to just blow their old ram's horns. Not the silver trumpets that they could have blown, but the old ram's horns. That's all they did. It could have seemed futile. It could have looked ridiculous, quite frankly. Just walking around, blowing a few little ram's horns. But God requires obedience. And he blesses those who are obedient. No matter how unpromising, no matter how ridiculous his commands may seem to us. Just remember for a moment, Naaman. Remember Naaman in the Old Testament was told to wash his leprous body. He became a leper, didn't he? To wash his body in the river Jordan or he would not be healed. He felt insulted. The dirty, scruffy river Jordan? No way I'm going to put myself in there. But he had to do and he wasn't healed until he did. In the end, he humbled himself and did what God said and he was healed immediately. Elijah was told to rely for food on a woman who had only a handful of meal and a little oil. Enough for a couple of meals. But he was told to rely on her for three and a half years. And she fed him every day for three and a half years by God's power. Peter, the experienced fisherman, after fishing all night and catching nothing, was told to cast his net on the other side of the boat. Whatever difference is that going to make? If you shove your net down there, or if you shove on that side, you shove it down there, is it really going to make that much difference? To an experienced fisherman who spent his life at studying fish and how to catch fish? But he did what Jesus said, and the net was so full of fish, it, it was breaking. He obeyed. The twelve disciples were told to get a crowd of thousands to sit down for a meal. What was on the menu? Three, uh, sorry, five loaves and two fish. Have you ever tried to feed thousands with five loaves and two fish? That's all that was on the menu. It's ridiculous. But they did what God said, and the whole crowd were fed, and there was a lot left over. All ridiculous to natural reason, but God honours obedience. Today, my friends, today, how ridiculous to natural reason to obey a 2,000-year-old book, the Bible. Isn't that off the wall? But it's God's book. And truth doesn't change. The environment in which that truth is applied may change. But the essential truth of God, his nature and his purposes and his character, never changes. 
Again, how unreasonable in this visual age. Everything's visual, isn't it? How, how unreasonable to spend so much time praying to a God we can't even see. That's surely counterculture. That's surely ridiculous, isn't it? How foolish to give such priority to preaching. Just the old ram's horns of preaching. No eloquent and sophisticated silver trumpets of the world. But these are what God has commanded and has always been pleased to bless. God's ways, God's methods are so different from the world's. King Saul, you remember, he lost his kingdom through disobedience. He was told to obey is better than sacrifice, but you didn't obey and you're going to lose your kingdom. Jesus, we're told, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Hebrews 5 verse 9. Again in Acts 5.23, speaks of the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Jesus, we're told, said, if you love me, you will obey. You will keep, you will obey my commandments. With regard to Jericho here, they obeyed even in the matter of silence. Even though they looked feeble, even though they looked unconvincing, even though they had nothing to impress the watching enemy, or watching from those secure walls. The people remained silent as Joshua told them in verse 10. Not to say a word. And they didn't. There was none of the usual cries and gestures and saber rattling of war to alarm the enemy. None of that. Instead, humbly, quietly, faithfully, they stuck to God's way. They walked around as God commanded. Friends, we too must obey. Regardless of the mocking of the world, not to seek to impress the world by our own clever devised methods. You've heard it said, probably, the church which marries the spirit of the age will become a widow in the next generation. Well, this happened to the liberal church. The liberal church was the church that, that, in this country uh, that moved away from the Bible. The days when I was at college and university at Manchester, the teeny teaching, the training that I had during those years uh, at college and university didn't take the Bible as God's word. It took it as a basis of ideas and then really reinterpreted it and explained it away. And, oh, well, we don't believe this today and we don't believe that today. We have a different view. And it explained away and took the guts out of the Bible. Took the heart, took the power of God out of it. Liberalism. That's why Anglic so many Anglican churches and Methodist churches and so on have really struggled because they've lost the heart of the gospel that once made them great. Because those churches, think of Methodism, once it believed the gospel, once it believed the Bible, once it was a huge power, not just in this land, but across the world. Methodism, that's with congregationalism, majority became liberal. And what happened? Well, it became a widow. It's now a widow in our generation. Where's the power of liberalism today? Who really listens to the Archbishop of Canterbury? There are some very good evangelical Anglicans, some very fine, including some of the bishops. But the people who are liberals, nobody listens to them today. If anybody has a voice in this country, it's the Roman Catholics. They listen to when, when the, uh, uh, the senior Roman Catholic people speak, they listen. Nobody really listens to the Archbishop of Canterbury today. He never says anything, does he, that we hear. Liberalism has died. Friends, there's a lesson there for us. The church that marries the spirit of the age will then become a widow. Let the present evangelical churches like ours beware. 
they wear. David, King David, refused to wear Saul's armour against Goliath. He'd have looked very impressive, wouldn't he, in the king's armour? Might have been a bit big for him. um, The king was a big man, a bit like um, John Stevens at the top of the picture there, that's uh, uh, six foot eight and a half. I asked him how tall he was. He says it's a thorough nuisance. He bumps his head and all sorts. Six foot eight and a half. That's a bit too too tall. Be all right in the second row of rugby. Scrum, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, he wouldn't wear King, uh, he wouldn't wear Saul's armour. That would have looked impressive. Obedience to God and his word won a mighty victory for Joshua here. A stunning victory. And this is what God requires of us, both in our prayer life and in our church life. Obedience. Not what looks impressive. Not what's going to make us feel full of ourselves, but what is going to glorify God. Obedience to God and his word. How? Well, through prayer. Serious, sustained, believing prayer. Calling upon God to lead us. Calling upon God to guide us. Calling upon God to give the power of the Spirit when we preach, when we, when we serve, when we reach out into the community, when we work with the children and the young people and the older folks, that God will give his power to bring them to faith. To bring them to Christ. God will reach into Rotherham. And open doors at the moment. As a fairly small church. You perhaps can't imagine. Remember when we started at Pontefract. You will know this. Years ago. It was much, much smaller than you are. A tiny fraction of what you are. Often there was just five or six in the congregation. And yet God burst into Pontefract. And hundreds were converted. Friends, you don't know what God may do in Pontefract. If you obey him, if you call upon him in prayer and let him open doors, let him lead. You don't know what God may do. Maybe far, far bigger than any of you imagine at the moment. But it's God that will do it, not you. It's faith in him. It's obedience to him. Prayer, true godliness, building our entire lives upon the study of the Bible. God's word, not our own ideas, but God's word. Living in a way that's what the Bible calls holy. Living different lives from the people around us. Being salt and light in a world that's dark and broken and struggling. But we're to be different. Serious commitment to Christ's church. Having a true love, not just for Christ himself, but for his people. The fellowship of the church. The people of the church are brothers and sisters. Older folks and younger folks. There should be no age barriers in a church. There should be no barriers at all. Different backgrounds, cultures, whatever. We, but we're one. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We care for each other. We love each other. We love each other, said Jesus. He's loved us. A real caring fellowship. Do you know that speaks to outsiders as much, if not more, than anything? I can tell you that from experience. I remember somebody coming into the church of Pontefract once. Never been in before. Not a church person at all. An outsider, an unbeliever. I remember standing in the door on the right-hand side of the church. I can see it now. And just observe it. She said to me, she said, she said, the love here, she said, it's not natural. It's not natural. Well, it wasn't, was it? It was supernatural. It was God-given. The love, she saw the love among the people. Never experienced it before. I could do many stories like that. There isn't time. Where Christians really show the care and the love of Christ. And it touches other people. Isn't that what happened with Jesus? Why did they flock to Jesus? Because he was the same as the priests and the Pharisees? No, they flocked to him because he was different. He stood out. He was totally different. 
and they flock to him. Serious commitment to Christ's body, care for one another, and continual zeal for the gospel, a passion for winning the lost, the old ram's horns of the gospel, not the world's silver trumpets. Yes, friends, obedience to God and his word. This is what God requires, both in our private life and in our church fellowship life. It may not look much. It may not impress the world. You can almost hear the world mocking at times. What do these feeble Christians really think they're going to achieve here in Rotherham? What impact is this little, this little group of people going to have on Rotherham? Don't they know this is the 21st century? We've moved on from Christianity. We've moved on from the Bible. We don't believe these things today. We've got something better. We've got secularism. We've got Richard Dawkins. We've got... What have we got? Well, we know it's empty. It's imploding. It's leaving people with broken lives, broken homes, broken families. Emptiness, we know that. They've yet to wake up and realise and smell the coffee, haven't they? Of just what's happening to our society, our broken society. At the moment they look at us and they will, these feeble Christians, what are they going to achieve? Friends, we may achieve far more than they ever dream of. The people of Jericho looked down from the ramparts they may have been alarmed at first, but after a few days, I think there's a, the folks were going round and round. They probably laughed and mocked. They saw that the people were getting nowhere. They were just going round in circles, weren't they? Friends, they were in for a terrible shock. A terrible shock. When those walls came down. And so is the unbelieving world around us today. You see, they all have an appointment with God one day. I mentioned Richard Dawkins. Poor man, he's lost, isn't he? What he doesn't realise is that God already has an appointment in his diary when Richard Dawkins is going to stand before God and give an account of his life. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment it's in Richard Dawkins' diary. I'd, I'd be prepared to bet quite a bit it's not in Richard Dawkins' diary, but it's in God's diary. There's already a day when he's going to stand before We are as well, every one of us. But friends, however much the world marks, Everyone has to stand before God. It's already in his diary. It's going to be a bigger shock even than those who are on the walls of Jericho when those walls came down. Meanwhile, God will own, God will vindicate obedient lives and obedient church. Joshua and the people would have derived particular satisfaction and pleasure in knowing that what they were doing was exactly what God had commanded them to do. Was it hot? Yes, it was very hot. Was it rather laborious and repetitive going around? Yes, it was. Was it unglamorous and routine? Yes, it was. But it honoured and it pleased the Lord. And friends, there's always great joy and peace for us in obedience, knowing that we're pleasing the Lord. Are you a church that is seeking to please the Lord in obedience to his word? Well then secondly, united faith. Not just obedient faith, but united faith. Reading from verse 8 here. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord, the covenant, followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. At this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give. What we see is all the people, the different groups of people, all moving forward together, united faith. There's probably, to be honest, no greater example of united faith in the whole of the Bible 
Joshua, the priests, the armed guard, the rear guard, all the people marched around those walls in complete unity and solidarity. They were agreed together, committed to one common goal, to honour God together. And this wasn't a brief thing. They had to circle the city 13 times. It was a remarkable example of enduring united faith. This expression of unity is so close to the picture of the church as the body of Christ in the New Testament. The church is one body. It consists of many parts, many organs, many different members, all different, all have a distinct and vital role, all are committed there, therefore to one goal, the health of the body, the church, so that the body can function effectively for Christ. All different, but all focused on one goal. We see here at Jericho an inspiring venture of united faith and action which is always essential for successful gospel work. Remember Jesus prayed for the unity of his people that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Jesus praying for unity. Paul in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. How about that for united faith? The unity of God's people is so important to God. Times of blessing are usually characterized by times of unusual unity among Christians. Privileged at Pontefract, there in the church, to enjoy years of such unity with almost unhindered blessing for many years. The unity among us was remarkable. For years, any major decision, we never took a vote. We didn't have to take a vote because the Lord led us to one mind. Imagine church meetings of over a hundred people in it. We never had to take a vote. For years. The Lord just led us to one mind. The numbers weren't always as high as that, depending on how many came. The membership was much bigger, of course. But a wonderful unity characterized the whole life of the church. There's nothing to grieve the Spirit in that sense. And so the Lord just poured out His blessing for years. But when there's disunity, the Spirit leaves. The Spirit is grieved. People go on coming to church, but not much happens. Conversions dry up. Baptisms dry up. Less people coming in. Not that sense of joy and worship. When the Spirit is grieved, we're left to our own devices. And it's very, very different. Friends, unity is so important. Why? I think a key is, is John 17, verse 22. Jesus prays that they may be one as we are one. He's talking to his Father. That the people of God may be one as we. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we are one. There's perfect loving harmony in the Godhead between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that harmony was extended to mankind in creation. And unity among Christians reflects the very being and unity of God himself. That precious unity, you see, was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, wasn't it? They were united. Their unity reflected the very image and character of God, but sin entered. 
and sin destroyed that unity. And now mankind continues in estrangement and division and no longer reflects the harmony of God. Friends, Judgment Day will rid God's creation of all disunity. Heaven will be a place of perfect peace and harmony with nothing to jar. But now Christ's church on earth is a foreshadowing of heaven. And therefore God looks for heavenly love. He looks for heavenly unity among us now. And he clearly grieves when he doesn't find it. In my experience and all that I've read of history, God does not bless churches that are not united in love for him and love for each other. Disunity grieves the spirit and spoils the work of God. Joshua and the entire people were agreed and committed to united faith and action. Their hearts were in it. The hearts were in it together. They were agreed and committed to the will of God together. This is what you see in the early church. Acts 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. All of them committed together. They were hungry for the word from the apostles. All of them. They were passionate about fellowship together. All of them. They devoted, were devoted to worshipping and breaking bread together, all of them. And they continually prayed together, all of them. A community enjoying the living experience of united faith. Because their hearts were in it. Their hearts were in it together. And this is unquestionably God's will for us today. Are we devoted together to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer? All of us. And are our hearts fully committed to united faith and united action? The modern Jerichos are all around us. We've got Jerichos in our own lives, which need to be overcome. We've got Jerichos in the church life, in the challenges we face to take the gospel out. The modern Jerichos are there. And we know we can only conquer them when we pray and act together. When we're truly one, in united faith. Yes, Joshua's leadership was vital, of course. But he could only take the people where they were willing to go. Do you understand that? Please remember, so important to remember, 40 years before, they weren't willing to go. Things were just the same. Jericho was there, the walls were there, the situation was just the same situation. And when they came and had a look 40 years before, they were not willing to go. Moses couldn't take them there. They wouldn't go. Now, thank God, under Joshua's leadership, they were willing to go. But there's a huge lesson there, friends. Our church leaders can only take us where we're willing to go. The Holy Spirit, ultimately, can only take God's people where we're willing to go. I thank God for years, as I said, of, of, of members that I was privileged to lead at Pontifact who welcomed, welcomed and embraced new challenges, new opportunities to take the gospel out into the town. Often we didn't have the money to do it, we didn't have the manpower to do it, we couldn't see how it was, but we, they were willing to step out and trust the Lord. Friends, when you're together, when you're united, it's amazing what you can do. When you're trusting a living, sovereign God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills 
and the gold in every mine. He's able to provide. He's able to lead. He's able to bring down those walls with united faith and united visions. But remember this. Church leaders can only take us where we're willing to go. I don't know what vision and plans the leadership has here. I don't know what plans the Holy Spirit has for the future of the church here in Rotherham. But I know this. You'll only get to where God wants to take you if you're willing to be taken and if you're willing to go together. He will not, he will not lead a divided church. He will not bless a divided people. And he won't bless people who look at the walls and say, oh no, 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 we can't, we can't, that's too big a challenge. Uh, we, we can't trust the Lord for that. There isn't enough money in the bank. We could never do that. We haven't got enough man. No, no, we could never... Friends, as long as you look at things like that, you'll never progress. When God sets a challenge before his people, he wants them to be united and he wants them to trust him and go forward. Of course the Lord raised up wise leadership in Jericho and by God's grace he'll raise up wise leadership here. We're not to be stupid. But when God sets his people on mission, on pilgrimage, to take up challenges, from his word, for his glory, to reach a, a, a lost people who are going to hell. When God sets challenges before, we've got to be willing, together, to look to him in faith. And to say it's too big for us, but nothing's too big for him. If we're together, and the spirit of God is leading us, we can go forward. Friend, that's a lesson you can only learn by experience. You can't learn it by reading a book. You certainly can't learn it in Bible college. I didn't learn anything like that in Bible college at all. The Spirit of God has got to reveal that to you and lead you together. It's an adventure. It's a spiritual adventure. And God honours united faith. Obedient faith, united faith, and thirdly, yes, adventurous faith. Joshua and the people faced a difficult and a dangerous task. God had burnt their boats behind them, you see, so that it was impossible to retreat. Remember that they were provided for in the desert, miraculously, with manna. But the man had dried up. And they, God parted the river Jordan so that they could cross over. But the Jordan had now come back and was flowing. There was no way back. They couldn't go back. God had burnt the boats. The only way was forward. Trusting him. Adventurous faith. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was dangerous. The massive fortress of Jericho, the whole hostile land which had to be conquered, they appeared to be between a rock and a hard place, didn't they? The task before them was totally impossible in their own strength. God had called them to exercise exceptional, demanding, adventurous faith. But God promised very different, definitely that Jericho would be destroyed. Verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Along with its king and its fighting men, march around the city once with all the armed men, do this for six days, and so on and so forth. God promised that Jericho would be destroyed. Once they knew that God was with them, they didn't seem to hesitate. They didn't look back. Their response was immediate and enthusiastic. Verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Make seven priests carry the trumpets in front of them. He ordered the people, Advance. And they did advance. All of them together. Friends, adventurous faith enables Christians to undertake ventures which we know ourselves would be impossible. 
those massive walls came down and Jericho was captured. Just again, cast your mind back. Abraham. Remember Abraham at God's word? He left everything which was familiar, everything which was secure, and went out in adventurous faith at God's command, not knowing where God was going to lead him. And God didn't tell him where he was going to lead him. But he was willing to leave all that was familiar and secure and comfortable and go out trusting God. One of the great examples in the Bible of adventurous faith. His total trust was in the promise and the presence of God. And because he obeyed, the Jewish nation was born and the Messiah, our Saviour, was born as a direct result of Abraham's obedience. Or think of Moses, fearlessly confronting Pharaoh on many occasions, taking his life into his hands every time and demanding that Pharaoh let the people go. Through faith he succeeded in delivering the whole nation from slavery. It's a great picture of salvation in the Bible. Or think of Gideon, at God's command, in adventurous faith, he overcame a mighty army with just 300 men. Amazing. Or think of David, in a moment of madness, as the world would see it, he overcame Goliath with just a sling and pebbles. Didn't he? But adventurous faith enables Christians to do things like that. Always has done. Elijah, you remember, challenged and defeated 900 of Jezebel's heathen prophets single-handed on Mount Carmel. He trusted that the God who miraculously fed him for three and a half years by that widow woman would send the fire from heaven when he prayed. He put his life on the line in adventurous faith and God honoured him. The fire fell. But had it not fallen, they'd have killed him immediately. Daniel, in fearless faith, defied the king and the lion's dens and continued to pray as he'd always done. God spared him from the lions and spared his three friends in the fire. Four young men with adventurous faith who fearlessly refused to compromise in the face of worldly threats. God honoured their faith. Into the New Testament, in obedience to the Great Commission, the apostles of the Lord Jesus courageously faced persecution, didn't they? And martyrdom. But nothing could deter them. The Apostle Paul faced perils and suffering of every kind in order to penetrate the Gentile world with the Gospel. George Verma has said, if you look at the ministry of the Apostles, you will see that it was characterized by reckless faith. They were not daunted by flogging or threats or social ostracism. The truth is their hearts burned so joyfully bright that nothing else mattered. All the hearts that burn so joyfully bright that will go anything, that will go anywhere and do anything for the Lord as He leads us and He guides us. My friends, there's a faith which risks. There's a faith which dares at God's command. There's a faith which launches out upon God's promises alone. A faith which is not deterred by cost and by sacrifice. A faith which burns with unquenchable joy in God. And God has consistently honoured and used such adventurous faith. And we've got to embrace the challenge of that kind of faith today. That's what's evangelised our nation down through the history. Again and again and again, God has raised up his church with that kind of faith. Obedient faith, 
United faith, adventurous faith, and far greater walls than Jericho have come crashing down in the history of our country over the years.